I'm reading again verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. One or two thoughts on these marvellous words. Always feel and have felt for a long time the, the depth of the, the writing, the theology that the Apostle is uh, sending to this uh, church in Ephesus uh, regarding the glory of Christ and the glories attaching to the blessings that come through faith in him. Ephesus was uh, a very busy and populous city at the time the Apostle visited there. He visited there about the year 55 AD. And uh, we must remember that Ephesus was part of uh, the Greek culture and uh, the society there was a society that bowed the knee to at least 12 different gods. Uh, they had uh, a focus on a pantheon of 12 Greek gods uh, to whom they prayed and uh, for whom uh, they showed subservience and obedience in their own minds. And in Ephesus there was also the uh, Temple of Diana, or Artemis. And uh, the Temple of Diana was famous architecturally as being one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was also famous or infamous, according to some, as a place where uh, religious prostitution took place on a regular basis. So Paul comes into this uh, area of present-day Turkey and uh, he is surrounded by this kind of atmosphere uh, where there are so many different gods calling upon the affections and calling the attention of the population. Population, according to Wikipedia, if you look it up, uh, maybe 225,000 up to 300,000 people in Ephesus at that particular time. But Paul goes in with the gospel. And what a privilege these people had to have the apostle of Christ among them. And it says in uh, Acts chapter 20 at verse 31 that he was there for three whole years and he also had the privilege of having the ministry of Apollos and the Bible says of Apollos that he was an eloquent man and a man mighty in the scriptures what a wonderful 
the privilege these people had in Ephesus to have these men of God present preaching to them. And what privileges we as a community and as an island and as a nation have had down through the years, having had faithful ministers of Christ declaring the whole counsel of God to us, even you yourselves in this particular congregation over the past 20, 30, 50 years. You remember a succession of faithful men who declared the unsearchable riches of Christ to you. And we see the way he begins his letter. At the very beginning, he says, he writes to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And verse 15, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. So the ministry of the apostle and Apollos was not in vain in Ephesus. There were converts in Ephesus, people into whose hearts and lives the power and the blessing of the Holy Spirit came. And it's now in description of these people and their experience of God's grace that we have mention made in verses 13 and 14. And under three headings, I want to highlight a few things. First of all, what they heard. In verse 13, it says, You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's what they heard. And secondly, what they did in response to hearing that word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, it says, you believed in him, that is, in verse 12, in Christ. Having heard the truth, the response of their heart and life was they believed in Christ. And thirdly, what happened when they believed? Well, it says here that they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Along with them exercising faith, instantaneously and simultaneously, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So these three things, what they heard, what they did, when they heard the gospel and what happened to them. They were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Firstly, what they heard. In him, he says, when you heard the word of truth. They heard the word of truth. Well, they wouldn't have heard many words, if any words of truth, from that pantheon of 12 Greek gods. And they wouldn't have heard any saving philosophies from the philosophers among them in Ephesus. And they wouldn't have had any direction towards holiness of life and faithfulness to God from the activities at the temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana. It's not the way it is when we reflect on our own society today. 
there are so many avenues into which people allow their minds to go and so many things drawing your attention this philosophy this point of view this focus and all the time the word of god is left aside to gather dust maybe on the shelf in your home whereas the word of god speaks truth because it's authored by the truth even god himself who is truth don't underestimate the value of god's word however much it may be looked down on by many nowadays it is the word of the living god and you can trust your whole life and your eternal condition to what the word of god says when paul was calling the elders of ephesus at a later time you find this i think in acts number uh, chapter 20 he called them to miletus when he was on his way back uh, to jerusalem and the elders of ephesus came probably a journey of 60 miles from ephesus to miletus that they might meet the apostle paul once once more and that was the last time he met them and he says to them when i was among you i declared to you the whole counsel of god not just a narrow strip of doctrine focusing on one aspect of theology he gave them the whole thing he started probably about the election of god and the foreordination of god and god's sovereignty in the work of redemption and he would focus then on man's responsibility in the work of salvation and so on and so on he didn't hold back from any aspect of the theology of the word of god i preach to you the whole counsel of god and that's what these people heard when they heard the word of truth i'm just going to focus on two things that they heard they heard first of all the truth concerning themselves and that's what the bible tells us about ourselves you go back to the garden of eden you go back to the fall of adam the fall of man in adam we sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression the bible makes absolutely clear all the way through that each one of us is sinners by, a sinner by nature and a sinner by practice and each one of us is unrighteous in fact the lord says there is none righteous no not one we have all sinned and come short of the glory of god and every sin deserves god's wrath and curse both in this life and throughout eternity in the life that is to come the apostle paul wouldn't mince his words he would tell it just as it was we are lost sinners by nature and they believed it when you read this in the original you heard the word of god it's as if he is saying to you they heard it 
And they said, yes, we hear you. We hear what you're saying about us. We hear what you're saying about me. What the Bible says about me is what the prophet Nathan said to David when he was accusing him and highlighting to him the sin of his life. You are the man. And the Ephesians said, we hear you. We are lost sinners by nature. But another thing he would have told them as an aspect of truth was that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. What an amazing statement that is. And the Apostle Paul is eloquent in his references to Christ as a saviour. He is a mighty saviour. He is a willing saviour. Saves to the uttermost all who come unto God by him. He is qualified as a mediator set up from all eternity. The mediator who came into the world as the saviour of his elect people. And he came and lived a perfect life. No one could point a finger at him. His life was perfect. And his obedience to the commandments was fulsome and glorious and complete. And he went to the cross of Calvary. And there he paid the ransom price. He paid it with his own blood that his people might be freed from the power of sin and condemnation. And he rose from the dead on the third day to justify them who believe in his name. That's exactly what you've been hearing in this congregation down through the years, isn't it? Exactly the same material, because it's from the same text, the same book, written by the Lord through his servants, whom the Lord's Spirit inspired to write infallibly and inerrantly this word of truth. And the Ephesians said, we hear you. We know that we are undone. And we know that there is only one way of escaping the wrath to come. And that is to embrace the one Savior who calls us to himself. We've heard the other day of passing of Reverend Billy Graham in America. Every time I think of him, I think of that hymn that they sing when he makes his altar call, shall we say. Whether you are in support of that or not, I'm not going to say. But these are the opening words of that hymn when he invites people to come to Christ and the choir sing, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. 
And that's what these people in Ephesus did. Surrounded by a bankrupt society, a society that was ethically filthy and impure, nevertheless they heard above the din of this world this still, small, sweet voice of Christ. And they said, I come. I come. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 10 onwards, we find the, the Christ, Christ as the bridegroom calling his bride to come. Arise, my fair one, and come away. The winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. And the time of the singing of birds is come. Arise, my fair one, and come away. And that was the response of everyone who came to Christ from the beginning of time until now. They heard his voice, convinced of their need, and convinced at the same time of his truthful description of himself and promise, I will receive you and save you from your sin. That's the first thing then. They heard the word of Christ. And I've, I've really come on to the next point without knowing it. That is that they believed in him. They believed in him. Now, there are various proofs of their faith in Christ given to us in, for example, Acts in chapter 19. When it says there from verse 19 to 20 of chapter 19 in Acts, it says, A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It's just one example of the change of life accompanying faith in Jesus Christ. What is faith anyway? When it says here, you believed the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. Well, faith has an aspect of knowing the object of your faith. They were made aware of who Christ was and what he was able to do for them. But also the Holy Spirit giving the grace of faith he works faith in us. That is, not only is it to do with knowledge of Christ and who he is and what he's able to do, but also an ability to yield oneself to him and lean upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. It is leaning upon him, trusting in him, relying upon him alone as he brings his glorious work of salvation before us in his word. Have you believed in Jesus? You know, I believe every other religion 
that you may call a religion is based on man's efforts, man's own works, trying to fulfill a set of rules, trying to do this, that, and the other thing, building up a kind of a credit with God so that at last he might receive us on the basis of how well we have done living our life in this world. But that's not what the Lord commends at all. That's what the Pharisees were doing. But what the Lord says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Some were asking the Lord at one point, what shall we do in order that we will work the works of God? And the answer the Lord gives is, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They asked the question, thinking of a multiplicity of works in the plural, that we might work the works of God. But Jesus focuses it right down to the singular, and he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to believe, to, to please him. Without faith. These people came in their need with an awareness of their need of salvation. And they heard a gospel that fitted exactly the plight they felt that they were in. A word in season to their soul. And they believed in him. They believed. When Paul was at the, in the prison at Philippi, the jailer having done his worst to make their stay there as miserable and uncomfortable as possible, having whipped them and having put their feet in the stocks in the innermost prison, at midnight an earthquake came and the doors of the prison opened and so on. But an earthquake came into the jailer's experience and he came trembling and he said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You, jailer, who was full of hatred and the roughest man in this jail, you can be saved. And he believed and he was saved. Maybe you think that your sins are especially sinful and especially repugnant, and especially shameful. Well, maybe they are. But if you come in repentance, you will find that the Lord Jesus will receive you heartily and give you a blessing. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the Ephesians, they believed. And thirdly, exactly at the same moment as they believed, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. They were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What does this really mean? I'm going to say a word or two about sealing, first of all. 
If you set your seal to something, you do something to it. If you seal a package, you do something to it that shows a number of things. First of all, it shows that it's a package that is especially precious and needs to be held securely. Another aspect of sealing is that it shows a mark of ownership. And thirdly, another aspect of the sealing is it attests whatever is sealed as genuine article. The genuine article. Now these believers in Ephesus, they had this wonderful blessing and they had the faith of Christ, faith in Christ, and they had this sealing experience. They were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into their lives as a seal, showing that the work that had gone on in their hearts and souls was the work of God. They were blessed in such a way that God showed forth that they were his and that they were blessed by him. Now, how does this sealing or seal show itself? Well, The Lord says, writing in the writing of Paul to the Corinthians, that these people were the temple of the Holy Spirit. He had come and dwelt within them, so that their life now was visibly a godly life. That was the visible, uh, the visibility of this sealing of the Holy Spirit, they were living a godly life, outwardly. And inwardly, they were also consecrated to God. Our holiness of life is the clearest proof of our union with the Lord. And that is, as it were, visible to those who look at our life. They see that we have changed course. We don't lo any longer go to the places we went to. We go to new places where the Lord is honoured. We mentioned earlier of what, Paul, of what the Apostle, uh, what David said, I should say, in Psalm 27. One thing I of the Lord desire and will seek to obtain, that all days of my life I may within God's house remain that I, the beauty of the Lord, behold me and admire, and that I in his holy place may reverently inquire. This is outward proof of the change of life and the change of direction of his life. But also, of course, the inward proof of this sealing. Oh, how I love thy law. 
It is my meditation all the day. No one can say that but someone who has been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come and he is, he is working mightily within our hearts and souls, giving us a desire for holiness and desire for living to the glory of God. Oh, how I love thy law. I delight in God's law. After the inward man, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, this is my delight, day and night. And it says in Psalm 40, to do thy will, I take delight, O thou my God that art. Proofs that the Holy Spirit has come in and that he has given us a new appetite, an appetite for spiritual things, to live our life in secret and in public to the glory of his great name. And the Lord acknowledges that seal and that mark upon us to be of his own making because it doesn't come through human effort to have that desire and lifestyle. But then he goes on. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. Or as some translations have it, he, the Holy Spirit within us, is the first installment of the inheritance that is ours in glory through Christ Jesus. When he comes with his Holy Spirit, makes new people of us, it's as if he has come and said, well, that's the down payment. The inheritance in all its vast glory awaits you at the end of life's journey. An inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. And it is set apart for you in heaven. And you yourselves are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What an amazing inheritance that is. The Lord Jesus Christ, he rejoices when he sees people coming to him, entering into a faith relationship with him, and at last, he will receive them into glory. Do you remember when the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan? In the days of Joshua. And it says that the Lord divided the land for them by lot. It was the Lord's doing. And each tribe got a piece of the land of Canaan for that particular tribe. Remember the land of Canaan was a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, that's just a very feeble picture of what we have here brought before us. The inheritance of the saints in light. The inheritance that awaits 
all of the people of God in heaven. They shall be brought with gladness great and mirth on every side into the palace of the king and there they shall abide. You'll never be kicked out of this inheritance. You'll never be ostracized or cold-shouldered at the gate. Someone was assuring the people of God in relation to their reception in heaven. And somebody said, well, when they will arrive there, they will not be without welcome and they will not be unknown. They are known by the Lord himself and he welcomes them into the glory that he has promised to give to them. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. To the praise of his glory. They will sing the praise of God throughout the endless ages of eternity. They who were in Ephesus may be living the filthiest of lives, but they heard the truth about themselves. They believed it. They heard the truth about Christ. They believed it. They received faith in order to trust him for their salvation. And at the very same moment they were sealed in that the Holy Spirit came into their experience and dwelt there and sanctified them step by step until at last death closed their eyes. And then it says in the Catechism, the souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves until the resurrection. And on the morning of the resurrection, believers shall be raised in glory and shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted at the day of judgment and shall be made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God throughout all of eternity. Surely, having heard the truth of yourself and Christ, surely it's time, if you haven't already done so, to close in with him, to embrace him by faith, and to follow him every day of your life. May God bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. Lord our God, have mercy upon our souls. Grant us grace to believe and grace to follow you in every detail of our lives to the glory of your name and the eternal benefit of our souls. 
Forgive our sins, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll conclude now singing again from Sing Psalms and Psalm 16 from verse 8 to the end of the psalm. Psalm 16 from Sing Psalms at verse 8. Before me constantly I set the Lord alone. Because he is at my right hand, I'll not be overthrown. Therefore my heart is glad. My tongue with joy will sing. My body too will rest secure in hope unwavering. To the end of the psalm, Psalm 16, before me constantly. Before me constantly I said the of the Holy Spirit rest upon and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.